Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well, among other things, we'll find out about the offensive linesman. Rig is up the right side. Big hit, Mustang. First down, Panther. Harrison's got Williams on a short screen. He's got some rooms. One man to beat. Touchdown. Dylan Panthers are on the board. Oh, my, the Panthers have scored. Hello, this is Any Given Wednesday, the podcast for British and Irish NFL fans of all sizes and experiences. It's the podcast that wishes the Americans did home and away the same way round as us, to avoid the confusion. And it's the podcast that still doesn't fully understand the rules of an onside kick. But hey, if the Atlanta Falcons don't either, then why should we worry? (laughs) Uh, Each week we pick a specific chapter of the game's glorious past or recent present to explore this week. We're going to be looking at the cultural phenomenon that is the book, film and TV show of Friday Night Lights, guaranteed tears. Uh, I'm Tom Parry, and as always, it is my pleasure to introduce the man who wants to take you by the hand and lead you down the tunnel of NFL's glittering past onto the pitch of enlightenment. It's Mr. Mike Bubbins. (laughs) Hello, Tom. Hello, world. I wish I put as much prep into my stuff as you, as you do. <laughs> That's where it ends. That's where it ends. <laughs> now, uh, before we get into Friday Night Lights, uh, just a, a reminder to our listeners that we want you to get in touch. We want to be a service to you. Mr. Bubbins has offered to yeah. be your... Uh, I'll service anybody, yeah, you know that. <laughs> I've heard that about you, Mike. <laughs> You've offered to be the listener's franchise Cupid. Uh, and if you, if people haven't got yeah, a team... true. They can send in details about themselves and you'll match them up to the perfect team. Match, make a match, make a make me a match. Find me a team, catch me a catch. That's me. There's the jingle. We've got the jingle sorted. There we go. There it is. <laughs> yeah, well, anything, mate. I, I, I like to think of myself as, a, as, a, as the friend on the other end of, of the, of the uh, fibre optic cable. Yeah, there you go. So get you in know? touch. If you want a team, it might just boil down to do you like birds or horses or cats? That tends to be the uh, yeah. yeah. That tends to be the choice, doesn't it? Really? Do, do you like do, do you like not having a name? In which case, you know, we've what, we've got the team what, for you. We've got the team for you. Do you like not having a name and a dubious past? <laughs> well, here we are. 
Uh, in many ways, that could be the perfect franchise for do, someone. To... Do you ever gloss over the eighties and nineties? Yeah. We don't talk about pre twenty twenty. But also, have you got an NFL team that you support for arbitrary or tenuous reasons? Get in touch. Have you got a second auntie in Carolina? Did your favourite teacher at school look like an eagle? I don't know. What, what, what are the reasons? What are the reasons you support the teams you support? What about Tom? Also, I'd be interested. In, I think we we may have mentioned this previously. Yeah. What about that shadowy character, the the team changer, people who started with the team and then for one reason or another changed teams? Yeah, absolutely right. You've all we've all got mates who've done that, and uh, they hate being reminded that that's what they've done. Are you a team changer? Yeah. And what were your reasons? I mean, a, a friend of mine did it recently for noble reasons. They said that they, they stopped supporting the Jets because of, for political reasons. I think a mate of mine ditched the Vikings just because he was he wanted to win things. So I think fair play. Well, it was tough being a Packers fan in the eighties, mate. I mean, you missed all that. You put in the hard was, yards, didn't you? I put the graft in. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an awful time to be a Packers fan, but I never I never wavered. I had a Seattle Seahawks bag for school, but that's because Woolworths only did those. Do you have like do you have like second and third teams? Do you have like teams that you look out for? You feel quite friendly to. Well, I'm sure we'll mention again in the podcast the Raiders. I'm a big fan of all things Raider. Recently. If I was going to start from scratch again, I think I'd be a Raiders fan oh, because of right. that sort of John that John, no that John Madden era and that the, the sort of Matt Millens and the Kenny Stablers and. Uh, the Lyle Alzados, the Jim Plunkett's, the Marcus Allens. Fans that go absolutely nuts for it. Well, also, now that they're now based in Las Vegas, which I just love. I'd love to go and see a game in Vegas. They've got murals on the stadium of Elvis Presley as a, as a Raider, wearing a Raiders jersey. Well, you know. So I'd always look out for the, for the Raiders. Bob, so are you putting the call out? Are you hoping that someone from the NFL is listening here and they're going to get in touch and say, look, in fact, let's play this out for a second, right? The NFL Come get on. in touch. They say, look, we've been listening to the podcast. Right. We've got a couple couple of tickets. We're not going to sue you. We've got a couple of tickets. <laughs> Miraculously, we're not going to sue you. We've got a couple of tickets for you, you know. Yeah. Pitch side, the new stadium, and oh. we'll put you up in Vegas for a couple of weeks. All you have to do is shift your allegiances to the Vegas Raiders. <laughs> we're looking for someone to kind of really sell the franchise to the UK. My bar will be black and silver and a half <laughs> Oh no, Mike! No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. But they're always they're my second team, and that's the problem with the London franchise, mate. It, it, they they wouldn't be my. They're not my second team, even. You know what I mean? Well, I think there's something about. I mean, like part of the reason why I love the NFL so much is is because it's like exotic, and it's kind of like it's like watching a film every week, and you're at these yes. brilliant places, and it's like you know the fact that you're in Chicago, New York. Have you been to Cleveland recently? <laughs> I have got a soft spot for the Browns, but that's, uh, that's something I tell my doctor as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's something that's roman- so romantic about America that you just don't have when it, if, if you know, if it becomes the London Jags or whatever it may be. Yeah, if there were a lot of British lads on the team or European boys, then that'd be that'd be a selling point. But if they they would just be a, another franchise. And I, 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 for a younger generation, like my, my son's generation, great if they get into supporting a London team, that's fantastic. But I, I'd never. I'd never stray from the Packers. I'd never stray from the, the Raiders as my number two team. 
Um, don't think. And now, I think the, the, the thing that's really appealing about the Raiders now as well is that they're called Vegas. And like the, for the commentators just oh, to refer to them wicked. as Vegas shorthand, it is so cool. When you hear I, Scott Hansen in the red zone say, we cross now and Vegas are on the... It's like, oh, oh yes, please. Man. We talk about matching up teams or people get in touch to match up teams. If Vegas was was a, was a listener looking for a team, yeah, you say what do you like? Uh, I like uh, people who are a bit on the edge, I like Mavericks. I like I like gambling. I like rough. I like you know I like ruffians. I like I like square pegs in round holes. They'd say Raiders, There's mate. Your team. And, and bring you, the Raiders. You team. just describe yourself there as well, Mike, haven't you? That's the thing. I think so. Yeah, I mean, basically. I think of myself as, a, as the thinking man's uh, Lyle Alzado. Um, well, you are joining us from uh, Bubbins Bar, your Packers mm. theme bar. Every week yeah. you bring a bit of uh, merch to show off to us. I do, yeah. Have you uh, have you decided what you want to talk us through this week? I was going to do a thing that was non-Packers related, but I've already you've already made a rod for my back with some Packers fans mentioning my <laughs> penchant for the Raiders. Well, actually, you drew it out. You drew it out of me more than mentioned it yourself. Um, so behind me, you'll see there. I'll just tilt that up. You can see it. Obviously, they can't see this on. But that thing there. So see the G? Yeah, I see the, the G. Big, the bigger of the two Gs? I see the bigger of the two Gs. That was uh, bought at an auction in the US by my best friend and my best man at my wedding, Nicky. He paid a lot of money for that. That is Aaron Rodgers throwing a uh, pass in the Super Bowl, and it's signed by Aaron Rodgers. So oh, I think he paid $700 for that. I'll be honest, I would rather the $700 in a photocopy because yeah, I mean, it's, it's in the bar, you know. That's but, a lot of but yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's more than he thought he was going to pay for it too, to be fair to him. He was hoping he got outbid by like 710 but he ended up winning the auction by mistake and there were some big security blokes there, so he had to pay up. But um, yeah, so I got a signed Aaron Rodgers throwing a pass in the Super Bowl framed above my, uh, my Packers seat. And what's your security like on the bar? Because now you've just told everyone that it's worth $700. You might have to reinforce your security. It's not even, it's not even the most expensive thing in the bar by a long way. Um, <laughs> well, we won't give out the postcode of the... Uh, no. Of the I mean, if you ever come to the bar, Tom, the, the, the sort of de rigueur would be that I would put a pillowcase over your head and drag you in through the back entrance, yeah. so to speak. Sports Illustrated calls it the best football book of all time. ESPN says it's the best sports novel of the past quarter century, and it's based right here in Odessa. The story of the Permian Panthers' 1988 football season. Right, well, let's crack into this week's subject that we're looking at. We're looking at the book, the film, and talk about the TV series of Friday Night Lights. Mm. Just watch my line alone on Blair. We'd have done all the actions first, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. It's a book, it's a TV show, and it's a film. It's a charade player's dream, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the absolute sweet spot. All we need now is a song. Someone needs to write the song, and then we've got the full axe. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Have you read the book, Mike? I read this book, it's got to be 15 years ago now. I was on holiday, Malta, I think. I absolutely loved the book. I absolutely loved it. I bought it in the airport. Because it's got a black and white, really stylish black and white cover with the, with the football team on the front, and yeah, I read it in a couple of days. I loved it; just a great read, really interesting, really great characters, really well told. Never seen the series because I'd heard that it wasn't like the book. And it's long, uh, isn't it? Let's be honest; it's long. Yeah, my life. I got too much going on. You've got, you got to really invest if you're going to get all the way through the series. I, the film, the Billy Bob Thornton film, though, I've seen that and I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah, great. Me too. 
me too. Well, we can focus on those things. I mean, the, yeah, the books, the books, kind of, uh, I think, is the big one and the one that I definitely recommend if any listeners haven't read it because it is so kind of its scope is so wide isn't it like it, it, it it's looking at high school football we should say from the top friday yeah. friday night lights is looking at the friday night games of high school football and i don't think i had any idea about the size of the high school game in my head i was thinking about playing football for my secondary school yeah yeah well that's what i mean i was a big football fan at the time when i read it and i understood how Although maybe not first hand, but I understood how big the college game was, and and I'd heard a bit about high school football, but I had no no uh, experience of it. But I read this book, and I, it was an absolute eye opener. Um, and, and if you if you know nothing about sort of grassroots where the football comes from in the states, especially in Texas in the South, then read this because it it will blow your mind. Have you ever been to Texas, Mike? No, I've never been. I've never, I've been to Louisiana, but I've never been to never been to Texas. You been? I've been to Texas, and it is an absolutely mental place. It's it's incredible, mm. and it's like you know all the things that you think are cliche just aren't cliche. Like everybody's walking around in ten gallon cowboy boots and stetson hats, unironically, you know, like carrying guns. And everywhere you go, the Texas flag's flying above the American flag because they're allowed to do that. And it is just, it is, uh, it's the only place I've ever been to where it's got like um, local radio stations, obviously. You turn on the radio and every local radio station is people singing songs about how good Texas is. It's just like, it's a place that just is built on self-mythology. It's just like you'll turn on the radio station and it'll be like... Texas is a great place for me and my wife. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> my wife. Uh, uh, the yellow rose of Texas, the only rose for me. Yeah, All that sort yeah, of stuff. Absolutely, that's it. I like that we can go on tangents in this program, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a big comic book fan, and 2000 AD especially, and, and Judge Dredd especially. Right. So in in this in this dystopian future uh, of a, like a post-apocalyptic nuclear hellhole of the USA. There's only three major cities left. There's there's three conurbations basically. Right. So there's Mega City One, which is the East Coast, yeah. built around New York. There's Mega City Two, which Swan. is on the West Coast, bit around Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, right. And there's Texas City. Yeah. And in, and in the in the comic book, they ask them to be called Mega City Three, and they're not interested. They no. they, they want to be somewhere completely separate. They want to be yeah. Texas City. And the judges wear judges wear cowboy hats, and it's it's just amazing there. That's so. It. They they see it as Texas first and America second. And do you know what's weird? Like a bit like the Cornish. My, my, <laughs> the Cornwall of America. They're the Cornwall of America. They really are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if tin was oil, they're the same. <laughs> black tin. That's what they call it. They call it black tin. <laughs> oh god! My experience of Texas in inverted commas was growing up as a kid watching Dallas. Yeah. And these billionaires, and it's everything super glamorous, and Sue Ellen, and Pam Ewing played by Victoria Prince, who had a huge crush on her. Yeah. But it just seemed so bright and, and you know amazing. And then, and then, and then watching Mork and Mindy as a kid, and you see Mork's hanging off the Dallas Cowboys goalpost, and that looks brilliant. And you think, oh my god! And then, but then, but then you see real yeah. Texas, like uh, like oil prospect in Texas, where there's just miles of nothing. And just dust and f- flat and fairly bleak. And the, the beginning of the film, you see that sort of oil field. You think, Christ, 
I mean, bleak is the, bleak is a word that I would use for both the book and the film, and I think that's something we should definitely flag up at the top. Is yeah, yeah. Like it is, it is quite a dark experience, really, isn't it? And it's like it, you know, it's written at a time when you know, in the middle of like a, a you know, they talk a lot about boom and bust with the oil trade, mm. and it is like it is in the middle of a busted flush, and yeah, yeah. everyone is, uh, you know, hard up, and everyone is fairly depressed, apart from the fact that they've got this football team. And basically, to, just to give people a little outline of it, there's a huge part, a geological feature called the Permian Basin, which is where a lot of the oil is in Texas. So this is the Permian Panthers, the Permian High School from Odessa, Texas, which is sort of West Texas, uh, you know, well away from the Gulf of Mexico, well away from the sea, a boom and bust oil town, which is the, at the time of this book is in hard times. And looking at it for me when I was reading it, so it's based on the 88 season. Now, in 88, if I, if I drew an analogy between sort of me reading it and my experiences, in 88, I was playing county rugby. You know, and, then went, and then in 89, I play. I was in like the Welsh school's rugby setup. So I was, and this is not meant to sound big-headed, but I was probably one of the best rugby players from my age that does sound, in Wales, that does right? Sound it's big-headed, but it's also true. <laughs> that's fine, right? But then I, so I played games in some lovely stadiums in that, in that season. Yeah, what, right? what you're saying is you're at the same standard equivalent. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm at that standard, but I'm playing rugby in Wales. I'm, I'm playing our national sport in Wales, right? Yeah. No one came to games. I would play, I'd go and play in these rugby stadiums like Sardis Road and the Narlands and Stradi Park and St. Helens and the National Stadium I played in. I played in the Cardiff House Park. There was no one there. Yeah. Certainly wasn't on TV. It wasn't on the radio. You might get a local reporter, but there was nobody there. My, my dad would turn up. Yeah. You'd have a few parents there. We played a national final in the National Stadium, a 65,000-seater. And there might have been 200 people there, maybe. But sure. usually there was ten people. It's like, like one of your comedy gigs, Mike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> vacant. I mean, <laughs> and a lot more laughter there than there was the, at the gigs, you know. So, I when, my uh, when I was playing, uh, I played. You know, secondary school. I played. I played for, uh, for the first team. Uh, well, um, you're showing off. Yeah, I know, yeah, but we. <laughs> my dad at the time was deputy head of a. That's why he's in the team. Uh, he was no, no, not of the school. He was, he was. Oh, he was, whatever. He was deputy head of a. He pulled strings. He was the deputy head of a special needs school, right? Um, quite, quite severely physically disabled kids, lovely kids, and yeah. my dad, because he was so keen, you know, they'd have residential, so they'd stay the night, and my dad would have to stay and look after them, but because yeah. he wanted to watch us play football. He'd tell the kids that they were going on a... He'd be like, we're going for a school trip tonight. And he'd load them all up in the minibus and bring them to watch me play secondary school football. <laughs> which, like, which was really nice of my dad. Do you want to see me? But I always think those yeah. poor kids. You just think like... Bit of fresh air, they're happy. Some top quality 40, football. 14-year-old girls who just want to watch Home and Away. And he's carting them off to watch St. Peter's <laughs> versus St. Edmund's in the rain. But that they that was our crowd, really. It was like my dad and his, well, and his what, school kids. So... We we would have like a lot of the trappings and stuff. So you have you have your free kit and your and your track suit and you might have a nice bus now and again, but but no one outside of that cared. Yeah. Like I certainly wasn't a law unto myself in my local school because I was on the rugby team. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There were there weren't girls making me crocheting me blankets and offering me sexual favors. There was none of that going on. And I went to an all boys school. That was a relief. I mean, if I'm if I'm honest. <laughs> But so reading that, thinking, God, these these kids are my age, and they're at my level in their sport. 
But there's 20,000 people watching these every Friday. Yeah. So every Friday... They're essentially uh, above the law in their town. They can do whatever they like and get away with that, it. Because the, that's the setup, isn't it? It's insane. 20,000 people watching, televised shows. The final played in the Astrodome in, in Houston. 65,000 people yeah. watching 17-year-olds play football. And, and effectively, they're given an academic free pass. If you're an athlete in America, uh, certainly at the time, I think it's changed a bit now, but you were given a, essentially an academic free pass just yeah. to focus on football. It's insane reading. Saying that, mate, I was offered a, a university place, even though I had no A-levels, just because I agreed to play rugby for the university. Did you take it? Of course I did. You're not stupid. <laughs> You've been there, I haven't been there, but I've, I've read around it a bit. You, know. you have to realise that football is absolute religion, especially in Texas. Yeah. It is it. you know, And all of life plays out in that, all the racial tensions, all, all the um, all the disharmony that's around there, all the sort of hopes and aspirations. Like the, the oil industry is, is, is tied into it intricately. Like you said, all those boom and bust towns. And from a lo- from a local point of view, I don't think I ever realised until I got to Texas. Really, like I got to Texas and the Longhorns um, mm. merchandise and like you know flags and signs were everywhere, yeah. and I was expecting yeah. it to be like the Texans. I was like, you know, oh he, you know, but actually, I think locally, when it comes to like NFL, actually takes a back seat to college teams and high school teams. That's where the yeah. real passion is in the heartland of America. Especially your high school team, even more so than your football team, they're all local boys. They're all they're the kids that you see. You know, let's use some uh, some cliches at the soda fountain, at the local hop, at the drive-in movie theater. These are the boys that you're going to see because they're and they're playing for your team. The NFL, the NFL players who play for the Houston Texans have nothing to do with Houston. They didn't go to school with you. They, you, know, you, you don't know their parents. Yeah, I think what that is partly what makes Friday Night like such a it's it is like it is what makes it quite a brutal read and quite a brutal watch, is the fact that it's like it's kids and it and like it's, that gets forgotten completely. It, it's it? like yeah, and I think it's I mean like there's something about the fact that because they they're padded up and they've got their helmets on that once they're on mm. the pitch they look like they look like footballers they look like pro footballers. That's a good point. And then it's only when they take their helmet off and they're crying on the sideline or in the dressing room that you kind of have this jarring realisation and I think there is that certain suspension of disbelief that you can't have when you're watching you know like when you're watching a soccer or something and your brother's a PE teacher I taught PE for for 12 years right I I I watch that as a PE teacher and think Christ what are you doing to that kid's life you know and there's there's a bit at the end of the film where they go I'm not going to spoil anything but they're getting half time of the state final. Well, it's real simple. You've got two quarters left. You got two more quarters, and that's it. Now, most of you have been playing this game for ten years, and you got two more quarters. And after that, most, most of, of you will never play, play football again. This will be the last football you ever play. So go and make the most of it. I thought, imagine at eighteen, because the way that it works over there, the sort of pyramid system. You're one of the best players in the state at eighteen. You know that you will never play football again. Because yeah. the, the weird thing about that, even in a football crazy state like Texas, which is where football is massive, that state final, 
so you've got the two best teams in the state playing, so 100-odd kids, right? Only one of those Permian Panther players ever even played Division One college football. Yeah. And that, and, that, and that was for no real length of time. And certainly none of them made the NFL or close to it. So at 18, 90% of those kids probably don't go to college and play. There was a, there's a quote in the book that says... It was the sound of teenage boys weeping uncontrollably over a segment of their lives that they knew had just ended forever. That's crazy, isn't it, to think of that? Imagine being that coach. Imagine being one of those kids. You're going to become a dad soon, and myself and the producer are dads, and watching your kids play sport is a joy, right? Yeah. Imagine being there thinking, I'm never going to see him play rugby again. I'm never going to see him play football again. This is it. This next hour and a half is it forever. And it's kind of, that's a running theme of, 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 you know, of how they're coached or how the locals talk to the players is, this is it now, this is your life. And from the age of, you know, this is your the highlight of your life and the rest of it is downhill from here. Oh, it's bleak. Well, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. What comes across in the book is is that because it's so because it's such a deprived area, they put all their self worth. That town, that Odessa, that West Texan town, puts its its self worth in how well those kids do at football. So the the, the God, the weight on their shoulders is tremendous. Yeah. I mean, it'd be it'd be amazing to play in front of twenty thousand people at that age. But the flip side of that is. To be walking around town thinking, I've, I've got to win Friday because I'm going to let the whole town down. It, this is this is the only thing they've got to cling on to. It's shot a bit like a war, like it reminded me a bit of a war film. It's a bit like watching like it reminded me of like Vietnam films where it's like you're watching these kind of young kids dressed like adults being sent out to be absolutely pummeled. <laughs> you know, like mm. I think it's shot that way. Um, it, it's. It's a really, uh, it's a really intense watch, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's very accurate. Like the guy who wrote the book went and lived in the town for a year. He was part of the town life. You know, it's drawn on quite closely made observations. It's, yeah, it's really. Well, odd. that H.G. Bissinger is the, is the fella, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so he spends a year there. Certainly in Texas, the high school football coach is probably your highest paid member of staff. He gets paid more than the head teacher, right? 
I like the little, they talk about the salary in, in Friday Night Lights. So in modern terms, that coach gains is on about 140 grand a year to be the football coach. Yeah. And then, but he, like, while I was a PE teacher, I didn't think, if we don't do well this rugby season, I haven't got a job. I've got to move my whole family out. Because I'm, I'm a member of staff. But it's different over there. The football coach, is, it's a different thing. If they don't do well that season, he's out. We should Sell the house, move to the next place. We should talk about the coach. So the coach is Coach Gaines uh, in the book. Yeah. In the film, he's played by Billy Bob Thornton. And then in the TV mm. series, Billy Bob Thornton got replaced with, let's be honest, a, a slightly better looking, <laughs> slightly more charismatic guy, Kyle Chandler. And mm. uh, they weirdly, they kept the same actress to play the wife which really makes it makes watching the tv series a really weird watch because it looks basically like the wife has she's left she's left billy bob for like a younger better model you know like a slight like because billy bob thought in the film he's quite hang dog he doesn't speak you know uh, he doesn't speak well he kind of mutters quite a lot he he's not your inspir he's not an inspirational coach i'd say you... He's weird casting for that, isn't he? I thought I found that a strange casting choice for the film. Anyway, I'm going to be honest that he gives off a slightly creepy vibe. Like there, there are there are several scenes where he's just he's just at the the players' kind of dinner table, or he's just sat on the end of their bed, like he's just turned up, and he's not saying much. <laughs> like he he reminds you, you know, like you know, like your mate who if you're ever stuck yeah. with, uh, for ju where's just this, one. Where's of... this going? Where's this going? <laughs> where? Where's your mate now? Is he inside? He's not on the end of the bed. Don't worry. <laughs> like, he just sits there. He doesn't really say much. And it's like, he's not a powerhouse. He's not throwing out inspirational stuff, is he? He's, just he's not of... Pacino, is he, in uh, I mean, Any Given Sunday? That's what you're getting at. Pacino in Any Given Sunday. A bit of charisma, a bit of hoo-ah, a bit of the inches speech, you know? Mm. Whereas Billy Bob, it strikes me that, like, it feels like he'd still be sat at the dinner table and they're going to the kitchen and be like, is he ever going to leave? <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's just sat there now he hasn't you know like you're doing all the conversation you're you're like you know it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's exhausting it's a one way street isn't it yeah and then like when yeah. when it finally gets to that final yeah. speech he doesn't really he, he ends up saying that he has love in his heart and i, I, I yeah I, that didn't come across did it before I, I, I don't know and and it isn't the kind of speech you kind of you can't imagine belichick giving that speech do you know what i mean like that's what i'm trying to you know you kind of yeah. you kind of inspirational hard ass kind of imagine Vince Lombardi imagine Mike McCarthy taking someone to one side and telling him he's got love in his heart you just don't I can't imagine it somehow he's got heartburn that's something Pete, that's, Pete Carroll would do that though I think Pete Carroll would put an arm around you yeah there you go got love in his heart for you. Sean McVeigh maybe uh, maybe like like kind of younger gentler yeah. approach not Jerry Glanville no, that wouldn't have happened no no love in his heart hold everything Hold on, Smash Williams is down. He's getting up very slowly. He went down hard on that play, and he is hurt. Go, they go, they go. Part of the guilty pleasure of enjoying football, and I love the game, and I love watching the game, is you haven't got to scratch very deep beneath the surface to find lots of stuff that, you know, morally you can't agree with. Yeah, this, and this is... Yeah. This is and I think football, like our football over here, is is going the same way with academies. And you see, like, at sixteen, kids get turfed out, and they they haven't got a decent education. They they a lot of depression and stuff. It seems to be following that American model almost that we channel kids into it from a young age. And they, and, you know, there's kids where my boys play like under eight football. 
they're getting scouted and they they go into camps and they you know I think oh God let them just let them play yeah it's a, it's a British way just let people play and enjoy it it's nice to enjoy winning I know it's an old cliche but of course you're going to prefer winning but just to enjoy playing the game well that's obviously why they all start playing when they're playing their pop warners and their, their kids football you know. This is something I can't quite square with my head, is that thing about it being a guilty pleasure. It, it's what Friday Night Lights portray so well, is you, you watch it and you think, this is fucked up, actually. This is really flawed. You shouldn't be cheating mm. kids like this. You're putting too much pressure on them. This isn't mm. healthy. And yet, once yeah. the game starts, you're there going, oh, come on, man, make the pass. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. You're, you're, you're suddenly you're in the, like, you know, the, the quarterback, uh, Mike Winchell thing. You're kind of going, come on, mate. Clutch, come on, be better. And <laughs> like you suddenly realize, like you've turned into his bad dad who's on the side and drinking and saying, yeah, Hold yeah, on yeah. to the ball, mate. It's like it still sucks you in, you know. <laughs> it's kind of t- but that's professional sport, isn't it? That, that, that's something you've got to square away with yourself. If you're into professional sport, oh. I love boxing, right? Oh. It's very hard to defend boxing to anybody. Yeah, I love the NFL, right? Every time there's a, there's a case of we won't go into we won't get too dark but I think Christ you know but I just love the sport you you can't take that away from it what goes into making those players that good and that elite is especially over there and we got like I said we're going the same way is that very harsh system yeah I love watching gymnastics but I wouldn't want to be a bloody East German gymnast in the 1970s I don't think they'd uh, have you Mike no <laughs> Well, I, I got the moustache for, I, I got the moustache for the women's team <laughs> I think your, ment- your mental approach is fine but I don't think physically you can you could cut it I could do gymnastics mate maybe not to Olympic level but I can do it alright we're going to want some evidence here Mike. <laughs> I specialised in gymnastics actually in my f- f- last year of university Tom oh there it is there it yeah. is in fact my gymnastics lecturer was a fellow called Mitch Fenner who was the gymnastics commentator for BBC Oh, there you go. Passed away a couple of years ago. Does he ever describe something as Bubbins-esque? He did say to me once, before he died, and he had, he had, speaking of Cornwall, he had a lovely corner traction, Mitch Fenner. There you go. I used to love doing vaulting. That was my thing. I loved, I loved a good good vault. And he said to me in university, Bubbins, if I'd had you 10 years ago, you'd be the Olympics boy. I thought, oh, come on, that'll do. Is this re- Mike Bubbins, Olympic gymnast. Is there any record of him saying that? Or is this... There are witnesses there. I can get you some <laughs> witnesses' names. You know, I mean, it was, it was pre-social media. <laughs> Pre-phones. You can't justify what those kids went through in those gymnastic programs. As a dad now, my son's playing representative rugby at sort of under eleven, so he's he's a ten-year-old kid, and you want him. He loves rugby and he wants to do well with it, but there's a balance next. I think I say to him, and he's old enough to sort of understand these conversations now. If you're really serious about it, mate, you'll have to make certain sacrifices. You know, it won't always be fun. It's not. It won't be the reason why you start playing in the first place. I said, I, I don't care either way as a dad. I don't care if you if you stop playing rugby right now. I don't care if you play for Barry Thirds and just enjoy playing with your mates. But if you're really serious about playing at a high level, it'll have to stop being as much fun at some point. Yeah. The first time kids get a bollock in at like 10 years of age at a, at a county sort of setup, and they get upset... And they'll talk. I said, "Well, mate, he's he's trying to make you a better rugby player. He's not there to hold your hand, but it, and it's, a, it's a real balancing act, isn't it? So what do you do? I, I was going to ask you as a PE teacher. You must have coached right uh, a rugby team. 
uh, junior you, rugby team. So, what was your approach? Did you yeah. did, we, did you give an insp- did you give inspirational speeches? Hand on the back. Well, just like Vince Lombardi, mate. In many ways, it's horse of a course, isn't it? <laughs> I like to think of myself as like the Welsh Vince Lombardi. Because it's, it's management, isn't it? Some some players need a bollocking, and some don't need a bollocking. Some need an arm around the shoulder. Um, and your legacy prevails, yeah. does it? Do they play for the Bubbins Trophy now? Or is it? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, they, they hate sport, most of them. Um, <laughs> That's your legacy. <laughs> yeah. um, we should talk about Booby Miles in the, uh, he's kind of the, um, yeah. like the kind of, you know, the tragic story of the book kind of thing. And in the film, well, it's, it's yeah, it's heartbreaking to watch. He's kind of given a slightly um redemptive kind of arc in the film in that he travels with the team and he's kind of cheering them on and i only found out this week when i was reading around the film but um i mean i always get quite emotional at the end of that film anyway but uh the real booby miles is in the film as a coach and so no so in the end when he's in the changing rooms and he's there on his crutches and the coach says think about booby miles it cuts to booby miles but next to booby miles is the real booby miles oh you're kidding no Oh, man alive. Oh, I didn't know Proper that. Proper goosebumps when I found that. I'm going to watch it again now. Yeah, honestly. There's that one moment he says, think about booby miles, and it cuts oh, to, wow. and there's the two booby miles. Oh, man. It got me right where it was pure. And and, and <laughs> if anything, uh, and then and then I was watching it, and obviously, like, so I was feeling quite upset about that, and I was, I was trying to Google around the players um, to see if I could find, like, a feel-good story from them. And it's quite, you know, like, obviously, like, one of the players went on to go to Harvard and and, and he's a successful businessman. In, you yeah, know, back there though, he's he's gone back yeah. to Odessa to be a lawyer. That's it. And then and then I thought I thought well Chris Comer, who's the character who, like his Booby Mars is you know second string and he's the guy who comes through. And a mm. season later they go back and they win state off the back of Chris Comer's kind of performances. So I kind of thought oh here we go. So I googled Chris Comer to see what happened to him. Not only did Chris Comer die at the age of forty. Jesus. But the actor who played him in the film topped himself. So I was just absolutely oh, bereft by the end of Friday. You're still, work, like, you're still working for Samaritans, Tom, are you? Like, bloody hell. It's really, oh, wow. really, really... The curse of Friday Night Lights. It does feel like that, yeah. And, it, and like it, it was interesting to read the end of the book as well about how the, the, the town kind of rejected it as a book and for a long time kind of... Saw it, I bet, saw yeah. it as like attaching a stigma to their town. Didn't want to see that in themselves, probably. Yeah. Didn't want that mirror held up of their action. When you watch those boosters in the film, and they talk about in the book, you know, the ones who very thinly veil threats to the coach, saying, you know, I hope you hope you win this Friday, coach. You know, we're we're all rooting for you. Yeah, it's sinister, isn't it? And basically saying, you, you know, you lose, you're out of a job. You you you're on the way. You don't get. So yeah, I mean, it's it. There's bits in the book. Uh, that are a lot worse than in the film as well. When they talk about the, especially the local sheriff and the way they speak to some of the players, and the way that it's still what they really skim over in the film. They mention it briefly when they play that final that the other team's all black and they're trying to work out the officiating crews and stuff. There's a big racism problem in the in Texas still, which is addressed a lot more in the book. Much um, more in the book, absolutely. I mean, it goes into a lot of depth about that in the book. Um, and it, it glosses over, like I said, glosses over that in the film. There's an episode in the book and the film that really happened, whereby their whole season comes down to a coin toss. Yeah. And, you know, Coach Gaines has to go and get the toss, and, and on the toss of a coin, you know, they get to go into the, you know, postseason. Um, 
But I thought, like, if it wasn't real, it's you'd think it was too far fetched because it's such a good analogy for like everything. And it, uh, it, you know, obviously, to go back to Pacino in any given Sunday, but like that thing about like it's a game of inches. Like, it is so much to do with luck. And you know, if Booby Miles doesn't get his feet stuck in the turf and his knee goes. Well, if the other fellow could find his helmet, if the other guy could he, find his he wouldn't helmet. have been in the play. And it, you know, it, kind of all of those. I've got oh, oh, that that happened to me. Just something very similar to that happened to me, right? Just very quickly. Cool. My team got to the uh, St Peter's. We got through to the semi-finals of the cup. I was on the bench, and I was a defender. You know, I'm not attack-minded. Had a terrible touch, but I didn't mind a tackle. And I was on the bench. And we were one nil down. So I knew we had ten minutes left. I knew I wasn't going to go on. So I was chatting to my mate, Shaps, right, my best mate. And uh, I was just turning, turning my back on the game and I was chatting to Shaps. And then the ref's whistle blew and my, our manager was refereeing. And he was beckoning over to the bench. So Shaps nudged me and went, Parry, you're on. And I was like, what? And he went, you're on. He's just called you on. So I was like, shit. So I turned around and ran on. And um, he'd been trying to call on the player behind me who was a striker. Oh, so I substituted myself on with 10 minutes to go. <laughs> up front. Played the last 10 minutes up front. We lost 1-0. And none of the... Oh, mate, you should have said you scored the, You scored two goals in the last two minutes. It's not Friday Night Lights, though, is it, mate? That's not Friday Night Lights. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But that, you know, the, the in the book, it's not so clean cut. You know, like, it's not because Chris Comer can't find his helmet that Booby Mars gets injured. Booby Mars gets injured because mm. his feet get stuck in the turf. And that yeah, is yeah. that is this game. You know, like, obviously, like... It is so much, so much of it is luck and you can have all your boats in a row and you can have, you know, you could be ready for a season, but in, you know, you can't rule out all that, so much that you can't rule out. Come on. Hey, 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 son, come here, come here. Where are you going? You don't want a helmet? Where's your helmet? Uh, Go get it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You see my helmet, man? Find your helmet, son. What you looking for, water boy? Uh, hey, let me get this real quick. No way. Find your helmet, man. Come on, come on. Come on, my goodness gracious. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. There's this principle they talk about in America called um, the meat principle in sports. So you maximise earnings at all times, right? Yeah. Always trying to make as much money as possible in as short a time as possible. Because especially playing football, you know there's a very good chance you're going to get your knee blown out. You're not going to go to college. You're going to get your knee blown out. You're not going to go to the pros. You get your knee blown out. You don't get a second contract in the NFL. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a brutal game. Yeah. And that's another. But again, going back to being a parent, because it's, it's, it's kids and being an ex-teacher as well. At what point, this is what I think of. If, if, if you said to somebody, because um, there's a really nice bit with the, the fellow and his dad, and his dad had won a state championship and, and uh, never really got over it, and was a very poor dad, but he was trying to, trying to like sort of live vicariously through his son. But he says, well, that was, I, I didn't realize at the time, but that was, that was my life. That was the best it ever got, you know? I wonder if the kids think that it was worth it. It was worth being spoken to like that, worth being treated like that. I wish you could go back to talk to them as adults and say, 
was it worth all you went through for that one season of glory? Yeah, I, I think that is what the TV series does have to offer because obviously the TV series spans, you know, like five or six seasons and it gives it gives the chance to portray what happens afterwards and people looking back and it, it can kind of slightly broaden the scope and it does, you know. So I think I think it's definitely worth exploring the T V series to see kind of that those kind of elements explored. It it also has a much cooler like the coach uh in the TV series, their their motto is clear eyes, full hearts can't lose, which is you know, that's much yeah, better, isn't nice. it? Much better. Yeah. It's just a real balancing act because you don't know uh, yeah. What do, what do, what does that player actually want? What do they really want? And if they do want to play in the NFL, they do want to go to a, a Division One college. Then, do you have to put them through stuff they don't want to go? They don't don't want to go through. It's it's almost cruel in its nature. But that's the way. That's what you have to do to get to that level. And, and like I, I mean, I, to try and you know. I mean, to, to finish in a positive light, I think one of the mm. things that Friday Night Lights really did for me and still does is it gives you so much respect for those guys now in the NFL. And I think quite often kind of your premium premium sportsmen can be seen as like, um, you know, playboys or that they, they mm. just they, they're overpaid. But you look at what they've what they've been through in their life to get where they can yeah. get to in the pursuit of excellence and you know wow you know like it, it's it's incredible uh, in the book uh, it was quite interesting like there's there's one in, there's one pivotal play in the last game where um the ball's thrown into the end zone and it looks to all accounts like there's going to be a touchdown and then a Dallas Carter player out of nowhere kind of swats the the ball down and that was that was Jesse Armstead who does that in in real life it was a guy called Jesse Armstead who went on to play you know, professional, played 11 seasons, was a pro bowler. Yes. And, and, and like, and also in the book, quite interestingly, um, Odell Beckham makes an appearance. Do you remember that? So Odell, uh, Odell Beckham oh, yeah. Jr.'s dad's in there as, I forgot about as that. one of the, you know, one of the best players in the area. And, uh, and it is, fa- it is really interesting when you see, like, I know none of the, none of the Panthers themselves in the book went on to be, but to see that it does happen and see that, what when you watch these incredible, like you said, you, you reference Mahomes, and it's like when you watch him, kind of revolutionise the game as it's been played and perform just these incredible feats of athleticism. Wow! And like you know, God, what what he's been through, what he sacrificed to get to that point. And also, mate, for for me, when I watch things like Friday Night Lights, it's not just the Mahomes that it makes me appreciate. It's when you're watching special teams and a fella's like your third string yeah. fullback who's just on special teams, just on kick chase, right? And you think he's just an also round. To get to the NFL is so hard. I mean, it's so pyramidal. There's so many players playing at a young age that, and they get stripped down at every single level. So I think of the, that Christian Wade who's trying to get into the, into, to the NFL now. I think he's on the Bills practice squad. He was off and then I think he's back on. And people seem to think because he was a really good rugby player, then of course he's good enough to play in the NFL. You don't realise that for, for, for 20, 15, 20 years, these kids' lives over there have been football. And at every point, that gets whittled down and whittled down and whittled down. So I think there's a, some crazy statistic that I think two thousandth of 1% 
of kids who play uh, as a youngster make the NFL. Two thousandth of one percent. So we have a, a fairly unrealistic sort of uh, idea of what it means to play in the NFL in this country. Why can't Christian Wade play in the NFL? He's good enough. He, 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 he can run with the ball. He can catch. He, yeah. Yeah, 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 I know, mate. And there's literally hundreds of thousands of American kids that can do that and have been doing that for years. What Wade's done is remarkable. I'm not, I'm, not knocking, I'm not detracting from him for a second. I'm just saying you have to realise there's a bit in the, in the film. This is another thing the British fans might not understand, especially the, the, new, the newer fans. The playbook, when he's, when he's with his mum going through the playbook, the amount of... For someone to come in like Christian Wade, we'll, we'll probably talk about this in the future, like uh, British players trying to get into the league. Just to try to get a head round a playbook for the first time, if you've never done it, it's incredible. They, they've been doing this all their lives. Yes, that's it. And it's like, it's like Coach Gaines says in the film, can you be perfect? Because that's, that is mm. what it takes. It takes being perfect. So that bloke that you think is just an also ran chasing a kick down would have been easily the best player in his high school, yeah. probably the best player in his college, yeah. and is now third string fullback in the NFL. And he'll probably be gone in three or four seasons because because you're you're the turnover point. You're the when the when the draft picks come in and when the free agents come in, you're the sort of you're the fifty second player. That you're the one that's going out. The average career in the NFL is four years. Start at 22, done at 26. Right, well, you've made up my mind. I'm going to go and talk to Jane and tell her that the child that's about to be born, we're going to, we're going to give it a go. We're going to get them into the NFL. <laughs> Call him Booby. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. <laughs> Booby's, gonna... Booby's a much worse nickname in the UK, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, I, I love football. So that's why we do in the podcast. We, we both love the game. And it is a guilty pleasure. I mean, the, the finished product is something I love to watch. Yeah. The players that make it, I love to hear their stories. Part of that is this this um, this mill they have to go through to get there, which does chew a lot of people up on the way. And, and that's just, that's part of the game. But where you end up is with something that I, that I, I just can't get enough of. And I think as long as the players are doing that out of their own volition... The thing is, where, where I, I said about British football earlier, the difference is, if you're sort of 16 in an academy and you get punted out of 16, 17 years of age, and no one wants to know you, yeah. you've never really been a star. You've never, you can't live off that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're playing for Permian Panthers and you've won a state championship at 18 and then, you know, nothing ever happens again, you, you don't go to a college, you've still got that. You've had that incredible you've still, You've been playing in front of 20,000 people every week. You've been on the TV, you've been on the radio, everyone in the town knows your name. You are that local hero, which you don't get if you come out of the Southampton Football Academy at 16 years of age. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think if you ask those kids, was it worth it? They're going to say yes. Uh, and also, what, what's amazing is what like is the sense of community around the sport is off yeah. the scale like you know yeah. I've, I've been in well when I, I went to the Rose Bowl to watch the Bruins play and it was like the whole town all, all that things you see in Friday Night Lights have gone to the game gone to the game shops are closed you know everyone everyone it's a six has, hour drive that final everyone has gone to the game it's like the, the way it unites the community is yeah. is off the scale it's not like any other sport in that respect 
And and I think finally as well, the the the, the thing I think that this shows is look. You've got an incredible book. You've got an incredible film that you know is really one of the best. Not only the best, I think one of the, one of the best sports films, but one of the best like high school films as well, and a TV series that ran for five series. And like there is something about American football that is so good for storytelling. And and yeah. whether it's fictional, you're watching the watching it in the movies. There's a reason why there's so many movies around it. But like w- yeah. when you're watching the NFL on Sunday as well, there are just so many stories being told and played out. It's so dramatic, you know. And like you said, like yeah. that thing of like the play by play and the clock ticking and the fact that a comeback can happen so quickly. I mean, like the NFL season that's going on at the moment. There's comebacks that happen. It's never the game's never done, and there's always these incredible personal stories to be told and the narrative on the field. Oh, it, it is absolutely compelling. Well, weirdly, uh, this is the, you might think this is a strange analogy to draw, but I love cricket, right? Because cricket is like an, an individual sport that is a team sport. Yeah. And I think football does that really well. Everything so is compartmentalised to, to a degree. So you you got your running backs and your quarterbacks and your linemen and your linebackers and your defensive backs and your special team. So there's all those great individual stories and individual athletes, but it's a, it's a team game. Um, and I, yeah, I love that. I I love the game. I I would love to see a high school game. I'd lo- if I was Christ, if I was living in Texas, oh. I'd be straight in there on a Friday night to watch the game. And I'd be, You'd be a booster, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd be loving it. I'd be threatening the coach like there was no tomorrow. Hey, coach, we better win today. Thanks, Bubs. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Take yeah. care. Beep beep. Yeah. <laughs> Can you get off the end of my bed, please, Bubs? <laughs> so let's hear it one more time. Together. Clear eyes, pull hard. Let's go! Let's go!